Hey, what's up, tribe? Welcome to another episode of the TFC Audio Project Down Under. This week, we talk all about how you can turn your exercise into a movement practice and why you should. We delve into the pitfalls of the traditional approach to exercise, as well as the three key elements of a well-rounded practice. This week's episode is sponsored by TFC Hacky Sacks. They're hand-woven and ethically sourced in Guatemala, and we love the unique designs. These hackies have been tried and tested on the Hackminton Court, and there's nothing quite like that feeling when you hit the sweet spot at the top of your toes. You can grab one on its own or in a foot exploration kit with a cork mobility ball and some of our wild toes toe spreaders and start exploring the potential of your feet. All right, you're back with James and Mac. G'day, guys. And this week, we're chatting all about the concept of movement practice. So we've been talking a lot in the previous episodes about just our culture of sedentarism that's promoted by the modern environment and the technologies that essentially outsource a lot of our movement needs um, and just how that affects our health and performance in general. And we've talked... Some, about some different strategies around you know, environmental design and behavioral design. So basically our, our habitat and our habits and how, how important that is to incorporate some of those um, habits and, and changes to our environment uh, to counteract that sedentary culture and to, to live a more centric, movement-centric lifestyle. Uh, so probably a good idea to review those episodes or listen to those episodes if you haven't already. Um, yeah, they'll give a good context to sort of where we're headed today. Yeah, yeah, because I think most of those more environmental factors can be sort of the linchpin for movement health in general. But today we wanted to talk about or just delve a bit deeper into how to develop a movement practice because that can be the, the real key to living or creating a more sustainable and enjoyable and meaningful um, or bringing more meaning into your movement. Yeah, and I guess in the other episodes, we've talked about things you can do, but it's how to bring this all together to make it sustainable. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the other, the environmental design is is the sustainability in, in the um, general sense, I suppose, in, in terms of your whole life, like the 16 hours of your day that you're not sleeping or exercising, basically. But mm. this is sort of delving into you know, the the hour or however many minutes a day you carve out for exercise, how do you make the most of that and how do you make that sustainable and enjoyable? And worthwhile. Yeah. So we'll just touch on, you know, the, the modern concept of exercise first. And so, I mean, there's obviously huge amounts of research that shows the that shows that sedentarism, which is just basically a lack of physical activity, uh, is terrible for our health in in so many ways. Yeah, you don't <laughs> you don't need a heap of research to, to no. make that makes sense. Yeah, I mean it makes logical and physiological sense as well. Um, but yeah, there's you know everyone's heard the saying that sitting is the new smoking, and you know it's just shown that sedentarism is linked to every chronic disease basically and chronic inflammation and stress and all of these things are made worse by not being physically active and so we came up with a solution yes and so the solution to the sedentarism that we've 
you know, people realize long ago that you can't just do nothing. Like mm. you've got to move your body. Um, but because we don't have to move anymore to find food or to escape predators, then it's like, well, we've got to move somehow. And so, yeah, we created exercise as, a, as essentially a supplement um, for the lack of movement. And these days, the, the exercise or fitness culture really f- tends to focus on um, burning calories and building muscle. And this comes from you know, a lot of, uh, I guess, from an aesthetic point of view, like how does the how does the body look? You know, you want to lose fat, you want to have good tone and all of these things. Um, and people sort of can tend to, in general, people can tend to view it as a bit of a chore that they need to tick off uh, or as some kind of repentance for <laughs> eating, <laughs> yeah. you know, eating food or eating too much or eating what they view as bad food or, or sitting too long or sitting too long all day. Um, and so they go, oh, I got to get my exercise in. And, and of course, something is better than nothing. Um, but and, you know, some common examples that you would think of in general is things like running, pounding the pavement, um, hitting the gym, especially sort of exercising on machines and, and various things like that at the gym or like high intensity interval training and boot camps. Um, basically things that get in as much work as possible in a short amount of time, because I mean, people are already so stressed out with all of the things they need to do in life. Yeah. Like you said, it's ticking a box, but it's, it's probably not fun. They're probably not, not necessarily enjoying that movement yeah yeah in general and and maybe with like the boot camp side of things then people enjoy the the community aspect of it uh, which is great um but the exercise itself it's like oh yeah i gotta gotta get to the gym or gotta go for my run and of course there are a lot of people who do thoroughly enjoy their running and gym training and everything um but there's a high there's a high percentage who do it to yeah yeah and i get it done and i realize as well that People who are listening to this, I mean, you all out there aren't probably in the majority of people who are doing it this way. Um, but you've probably got people in your lives who are. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. You know someone and, and it might resonate with you that you feel like exercise is a chore that just needs to be ticked off. Um, so, yeah, it's it very common. Me. You're not alone. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, you, you've never really been one for gym training or, um, you know, just exercise for the sake of it, hey? Yeah, yeah, it was always for me something that I wanted to do. Well, I wanted to have fun while I was doing it and I just never found that fun. Yeah, until now. <laughs> until now, yeah. And that's it. And and I guess that's what we'll dive into. Yeah, so, I mean, that combination of, you know, people needing willpower, seeing it as a chore, um, also doing lots of high-intensity exercise and not necessarily focusing, focusing very much on technique or the efficiency or how they're doing it mm. um, and also not focusing on the broader context of their environment and their lifestyle and, and how that affects their body. That All of that is just really a recipe for injuries, overtraining, and just unsustainability in general. Um, because, yeah, if, if it kind of hurts, it's, you know, un- if it hurts your body, it's uncomfortable to do, you don't enjoy it, and it takes a lot of willpower, it's probably not going to keep happening. And yeah, of course. That's We see that all the time, and that's a big reason why sedentary sedentarism is so rife Mm. um and so we'll just talk about a you know one solution to that which is what we've what the whole concept of the podcast is the movement practice and to give a bit of broader context to that then we just want to talk about how humans are really incredible learning machines (laughs) like 
We're the best at it. We're the best. (laughs) When it comes to, especially when it comes to movement, um, there's a good quote by Daniel Walpert, Walpert, who's um, a neuroscientist, and he's studied all about this. He has a great uh, TED talk. And one of the quotes that he has is, we have a brain for one reason and one reason only, and that's to produce adaptable and complex movements. And he uses the example of this um, organism called a sea squirt that lives in the ocean. Uh, and it has a nervous system basically for a, a good percentage of its life until it, at some point it stops moving. It goes and attaches to a rock or something and then stops moving. And then it proceeds to digest its own nervous system. <laughs> wow. Because it doesn't need it anymore. The only reason to have a nervous system and you know, brain, our brain is the central nervous system, a part of our nervous system is to produce those movements to interact with the so environment. So keep moving, otherwise you're, <laughs> you'll digest your own digest, brain. It'll be digested. <laughs> not, not quite, but it, uh, pretty much. Yeah, metaphorically speaking. <laughs> Use it or lose it. Yeah. Um, so it's, a, it's an interesting example. And humans actually have the largest brain on the planet relative to body size. We don't have a bigger brain than a, a blue whale or, or an <laughs> elephant, but... Um, Actually, I don't know about the blue whale, but <laughs> I assume not. Um, but yeah, relative to body size, we have the biggest brain and the most sort of complexity and density. And we also are the most adaptive movers on the planet. So there's really no other animal that can even come close to the variety and complexity of movement skills that we can learn. Mm. Um, and you know, from an evolutionary point of view, we needed this because... We don't have the raw strength and speed and power and you know claws and teeth and all of these things that help a lot of animals survive. survive. Like yeah. if you think of a, a tiger or a lion or a gorilla, you know they've got this prodigious strength and mm. power, and we just can't match that at all. And and our it was know, our skills. Yeah, our answer to that was developing complex skills and you know using our hands to make tools and our mouths to um you know express complex language which allowed us to cooperate in Mm. groups and create stories and and culture and and uh, basically cooperation you know uh what's the safety in numbers is the concept yeah and that's led to us becoming the dominant species on the planet Mm. so you know there's a lot of power in our ability to learn movement skills and unfortunately, a lot of that potential of our brain is going to waste um, at the moment, obviously, through the lack of movement in general. And also when we do move, it's not really focusing on skills. It's focusing on working muscles. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, our, our brains and bodies are really set up to be co- constantly learning or refining movement skills. And they really thrive under those conditions. So in terms of physical health and mental health, um, our brain and body really needs to be practicing movement regularly. And I mean, you've probably noticed it yourself when you're not doing that, you do, you do feel the, the side effects, I suppose, um, you know, on a mental and physical level. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it happens quite quickly. And you also, when you do add, a good amount of movement back in, especially if it's skillful movement, um, you know, like hacky sack or hand balancing or things like that, then, and intense, intense movement has its place, of course, uh, like workouts, but 
when you add that back in, you're, you automatically feel way better and you notice a difference in how you can learn. And, and not just that exercise, but I mean, we, we've chatted about it on the podcast before, but we've been going out to Bush One, this, this property mm. of your uncle's and being able to do that sort of skilled movement where you're building stuff with your hands and, and chopping wood and we call it city brain when we come back True. to the city and it's not necessarily us being trapped in the city that is having that impact, but it's the lack of that that, that movement, that, that mm. explorative, skillful, sort of useful movement, yeah, mm. where you're chopping wood for the fire or you're navigating through you know, trees and bush and, and rocks and all of these, all this huge variety of movement and skill. The body thrives and the mind thrives. Yeah. 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 And there's heaps of other benefits of being out in nature as well. And, and just expressing those natural movements, which we talked about in the last podcast. Mm. Um, but yeah, this is where that developing a movement practice really, really comes in because, well, a movement practice is based essentially. I, I define it as just focusing on learning and refining and mastering movement skills um, as a way to develop and express your physical capacity, mm-hmm. rather than just working muscles so that they get bigger or that they burn calories. Yeah. Um, so the skill-based approach really focuses on improving efficiency and improving your technique. Mm-hmm for whatever it is you're doing and that really does make it more sustainable and it also is a lot more enjoyable when if you look at someone who's moving efficiently like if you look at a, an olympic athlete or an elite sportsman or anything like beauty, that it? it's yeah. a thing of beauty it's an art and and that's, the same i mean the same going back to the the analogy you was, you were using before with the tiger or mm. a cheetah running Ooh, you know it's graceful it's mesmerizing <laughs> yeah yeah and it's the same with a human if they're doing it right yeah and that's why people love watching well it's a big reason why people love watching those sports and events on tv is because they get to see this beautiful graceful efficient movement that results in very good performance and generally more often not than not like no injuries or like mess up like um f-ups yeah <laughs> for yeah. want of a better word um and that's because these people have practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced yeah um over and over, you know thousands and thousands of hours and you end up with that and so it, it looks good and it feels a lot more enjoyable when you're moving efficiently you there's something clicks in your brain and you get these reward chemicals again and it just and it just makes you feel good. Mm. And it's different to struggling. And, and obviously, there's signals of pain and, and things like that if you're moving really inefficiently and your, mm. your body doesn't like it. Um, but, you know, otherwise, movement can just feel like real tough. Like you're just like pounding the pavement is the most obvious example. Like we see it again all the time along the river. People just slap, slap, slap. Like, yeah. you know, no, no efficiency or grace in their movements. Just. You know. And they don't look like they're having fun while no, they're doing it. No. They do not look like they're enjoying it. No. Um, and yet we saw a runner this morning who you commented how, how good his running style was and he's just motoring along. And he was jogging behind us and we didn't even hear him coming. Oh, yeah. Silent. Glided silent approach. <laughs> so, yeah, there's that contrast for sure. Yeah. And so it's, it's more sustainable because you've got... You know, efficiency essentially just means less risk of injury, it's mm. safer, um, you improve your performance. So it's more sustainable, it's more enjoyable. And especially if you're practicing skills that are meaningful to you in some way. Um, and so we'll talk about, you know, the different 
skills that might be meaningful to you and why um, and like different elements of, of creating a meaningful movement practice. But that's a, that's a big core to all of this is if you're doing something that you want to be doing, then you're going to keep doing it. Exactly, exactly. Especially if you're doing it in the right way. Yeah. And so, you know, some obvious... I guess some major examples that people tend to think of when they think of movement practice and movement culture are these these sort of outlandish niche skills like hand balancing and acrobatics and martial arts and that the all three of those things are very fun and I've I've dabbled in each and there's a reason why they're gaining popularity because they are awesome um but all of the common you know the um yeah, the common exercises that you'd see most people doing can also be turned into a movement practice if you just make some simple changes to your mindset and your approach. Your approach, yeah, yeah. Like the common exercises like gym training, running, swimming, um, you know, boot ca- even boot camp style training. Um, they c- they're all essentially complex skills that can be refined and there's always going to be elements of technique in each of those skills. So how do you turn one of those skills then walking or running into a movement practice how do you take it from something that you've been doing for years that is a means to an end to something that can give you that meaningful reward yeah well pretty much two two steps really is just first understanding that this is a complex skill that deserves my attention and my um you know and deserves to be practiced rather than just done however you do it yeah yeah respect the skill um and approach it with a beginner's mind. So understanding, even if you've been doing it for a few years, just act as if you're a beginner and act as if you don't know anything about it. And then seek coaching or guidance in some way from, you know, from a coach or a book or an online program or some, or some of kind of resource yeah. or all of the above, some kind of resource that you trust to guide you in that skill and you know, showing you how to start and how to progress and different ways to break down the skill. And I guess that's where we're pretty lucky. You know, obviously, movement has changed a lot these days and, and we need more of this movement practice, but I think we're pretty fortunate in the world that we are today that there are plenty of resources oh. out there. It's not hard. It's really not that hard to find good help so, if you go yeah, looking. So true. Yeah, we, we, we are blessed with the amount of resources we have. But, possibly overwhelmed overwhelming <laughs> yeah, yeah. um but if you know there's we'll we'll link some resources for you know each of the things that we talk about today in the show notes but and in our community we, alone there are you know there are experts on yeah a oh, yeah. number of these practices yeah. um with the knowledge that everyone needs yeah and yeah while it can be overwhelming it is yeah it's great you've got great access to like world-class teachers on the internet um, and a lot of a lot of the time in your local area, um, are great teachers in your local area, and so that can't be an excuse. Nah, yeah. Nah. There's always, especially in this day and age, there's always some kind of resource. And if you try one and it, you don't like it or it doesn't resonate with you, just try another one. You know, it's it's in, it's an important thing to do, and and it's worth a bit of trial and error. And I guess then you know, that brings you to the next point that you don't have to necessarily get to the stage where you are an elite athlete like these these people we're talking about. It You don't have to train to get to that stage, but you've got to put something in. Exactly, yeah. People tend to think of like, oh, like getting a coach or getting, you know, getting all this feedback on my movement, like, oh, that's expensive or that's just what elite athletes do. And, and that's just, that is an, 
a common thing for elite athletes to do, but we should all really be viewing ourselves as athletes or as movers mm. that deserve and need guidance to some degree. And yeah, it's not about, you know, refining it to the nth degree so that your efficiency, you know, you've got perfect technique, but it's about laying a baseline of a good foundation of skill and you get some feedback along the way while you're laying that foundation so that you can then be independent and confident to go and practice that skill yourself and and to refine it and maybe check in with someone every now and then to see how it's going Mm. but yeah you don't have to be working with a coach one-on-one weekly I I mean it's a bit like you love using this the cooking analogy but you're not going to keep cooking a meal over and over again if it tastes like crap. Yeah. Um, and yes, you're getting the nutrients you need, but you're not enjoying the meal. Mm-hmm. So if you keep on cooking for yourself, you may as well be cooking it right so that you're getting getting yeah the enjoyment out of it. Yeah. And yeah, learning some fundamental techniques of knife skills and, you know, how to combine different spices and... Mm-hmm. Um, how to, you know, work your way around a wok or a pot or, you know, just some basic things can really make a huge difference. And on that analogy, if you, if you build up those skills in one, on one dish, then that dish can often translate into other dishes down yeah. the line. And, and it's the same with movement. If you, if you learn how to lift something properly, then that's probably going to help you down the line when you learn to do another skill. A hundred percent. Yeah, the more skills you learn, the more you push through the discomfort of learning skills, the more plastic your brain becomes. So just, just, just means like neuroplasticity is the adaptability of the brain, its ability to learn. So the more plastic and, and moldable or malleable your brain becomes, and therefore one, the easier time you have picking up new skills and two, the, the easier time you have translating current skills into other skills. Mm. And there is so many, so many movement skills that seem very different but apply very similar principles of movement you know yeah so lifting um and then or maybe a, a I mean, better breathing breathing is a prime example of yeah how much that is involved in so many different skills exactly but if you know how to breathe right then you've got the spices that'll help you with every single dish you go to cook exactly it'll apply to running it'll apply to lifting and yeah there might be a f- some tweaks that you can make to um, to the breathing style, depending on whether it's running or lifting or climbing or whatever. But if you understand, if, if how you're it works. aware of the fact that breathing matters and that you, you know, some of the core principles, then it will generally apply to everything. So, yeah, it's a good analogy. And and also, cooking is another movement <laughs> practice. Yeah, <laughs> the knife skills, like all of those things, um, are still movement practices. They're not like workouts or anything, but they're very useful and valuable practices to to train and to to learn so um yeah it's not about becoming elite or the best in the world but just becoming confident and independent and you know growing your ability to improvise and and sort of play with a skill Mm. um and as well i mean there's of course there's always a place for just some good old hard work and and getting a good workout in and it does feel really good to to build some intensity Mm. um but Essentially, the the movement practice or the skill-based approach to that is going, all right, well, how do we build a foundational capacity of strength and mobility and balance through, uh, through practicing skills? And then once, you're, once you've practiced the skill and built some or like developed some efficiency, then layering on intensity onto those skills so that 
it's going to be sustainable. Yeah, and basically. we've talked about this in, in previous episodes, but you don't want to scare yourself out of it. You know, you don't want to go too hard and then it becomes all too much and you, you give up entirely. Yeah, I mean, so many stories of people getting very excited about exercise and getting in shape and getting fit and then, you know, cracking into it as hard as they can and then their body, they're either not doing it efficiently or they, you know, haven't addressed other behavioral and lifestyle factors and then they get injured and then they can't do it anymore and it's it's a real shame because if they'd spent the time to to layer on those um yeah like the foundation of strength and mobility especially had the right guidance and had the right guidance and and progressed gradually through these different skills then they could be working out very intensely probably more intensely than they started and doing it in a way that's enjoyable and not at, well, at a much less risk less of hurting risk. their body. Yeah. So, yeah, you can still practice movement still skills and that can be very intense. Like hand balancing doesn't look that intense, especially if you see a good hand balancer, they just look like they're going up there, you know, with full ease. But it's very intense, <laughs> especially while you're, uh, while you're learning and you're developing that strength of overhead. Um, but it can be very, very intense um, and... Yeah, the, essentially, the more efficiency uh, you build, the more intense you can make it. Mm. Yeah. And the more graceful you can make it look as well. Yeah. Yeah. Which so, how do you start? So, it'll all depend really on like what movement practice you decide to start with and which ones you delve into will just depend on your history. So, what you've practiced as a child and what, um, you know, what resonates with you and, and your, your current baseline of capacity and skill and and obviously as well as your goals so if you if you want to be able to hand balance then you'll start different start a different place if you compared to if you want to be a great runner um but in general we'll just talk about the elements of a a well-rounded practice and this is just sort of my thoughts on what should go into a, a good movement practice um you know other people might have other characteristics that they would add in or or whatever but I'm talking about the three three elements of mindfulness, usefulness, and playfulness. Mm. And you can view, especially for beginners, you can almost view that as a step by step. Stepping stone, yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, you want to start with, we'll, we'll delve into each of them, um, but you want to start with first being aware of, you know, where you're at and, and having some mindfulness about what's going on with your body and then build into things that are useful for you or for others and then um, and then start playing with movement. So that can be a step-by-step, step, but there will be a lot of overlap between each of those elements yeah. in most movement practices. So, so in terms of mindfulness, you want to be developing an, aware, yeah, an awareness or an understanding about your current capacity, um, the limitations that you've got and what goals you have. And so... And you also, mindfulness sort of relates to actually tuning in to the way you're moving um, in order to improve that efficiency and skill. So a lot of people do their workouts, but, you know, they might be strapped into a machine or running on a treadmill and watching TV or or even just, you know, chucking music on and, and tuning out and just, yeah, like I said, pounding the pavement. And not listening to the body and, and those receptors. Yeah, they're not really tuning into how they're moving. It's just moving and getting it done and uh, tuning into something else or lost in thought. So 
there is that element of of like moving meditation when it comes to this this approach and that is really feeling each aspect of the movement and yeah what your muscles are doing what position your joints are in um, how fast or slow you're moving and and really feeling all those those elements of the movement and understanding how that's affecting your body mm. balancing on a beam is a prime example of, of getting in that state where you you're feeling every part of the body and and where the tipping point is and and, and yeah, yeah, just completely in tune. Exactly, and that that this is the sort of stage where feedback can come very in, come in handy a lot. Mm. Um, where, yeah, for example, on the beam, then the feedback you get if you lose focus or if you lose alignment is you fall off the beam, and so it's a quick little feedback like that. And similarly, you know, other examples of sort of more mindful practices, are things like breath work. Um, or a walking meditation, or um, yoga, kin stretch, and Feldenkrais is like a an, a, a movement modality that their I think their tagline is awareness through movement. So especially yeah, Feldenkrais is a good example because he does a lot of ground movement. And if you're not moving efficiently on the ground, then you'll feel it because the ground's hard. <laughs> and if you say you're doing some kind of rolling pattern and you're not doing it well, then you're going to be you know slamming on the ground and and you just won't feel controlled and so getting that feedback in this stage of um mindful practice is a really helpful thing and then that's what allows you to to improve that efficiency for sure i it must be hard though i mean when you look at if you look at walking or running um for something that people have done for years and years and years and have developed what they think is the right practice how difficult can it be to to I guess be mindful enough to realize like do you think do you think mindfulness is enough for people to realize that they're doing that wrong or is is that where yeah I see what you mean yeah uh, it yeah it does depend a lot on the person I think it mm. is off, for some people it might be as simple as going yeah pay more attention to how you're walking and running and they go oh all right I'll pay more attention okay this makes sense but for most people they need that guidance that yeah, that guidance or at least some something to aim for and go, okay, I want to be focusing on this and this. You don't want to be focusing on too many things because that's just going to overwhelm you. But if yeah. you focus on it, you get someone to say, okay, I've looked at you run or walk or do X activity yeah. and you should probably focus on these couple of things and this is how you do that. And then it's being mindful about those things yeah. when you're in the movement. Yeah, so it's, yeah, the mindfulness... That feedback, yeah, can come from a coach, especially if it's something that doesn't give you that immediate feedback like the beam or yeah, the ground. Exactly. Uh, is someone going, here, try this. And that's why yoga studios are so popular. Um, you know, good yoga studios and yoga instructors can give great feedback about, you know, just try moving your body like this or tuck your pelvis a bit like that or, you know, X, Y, Z. And you, the good thing is if you make the right change, you'll feel it and you'll get that click. feedback, yeah. It'll click. And so those examples that I gave of, of mindful practices, you know, are really great places to start. Um, but then it's also about taking that mindfulness into the, uh, those, any other practice that you're doing as well, even if they're not like a quote unquote mindful practice. Mm. Um, so the next element is usefulness. So just asking yourself, is this practice or movement making me a more useful or valuable member of my community in some way? 
Um, and am I better able to respond to varied or unexpected demands in my daily life through this practice? So I think a lot of people do certain things like, um, you know, like, yeah, say if you only did beam training, or you only did yoga or like a walking meditation, then that would be awesome in terms of promoting mindfulness and you would get some movement out of it. But then if it came to, you know, helping helping your friend move a couch or, you know, responding to an emergency situation where you have to sprint or climb or, you know, carry someone out of a burning building or, mm. you know, God forbid, um, everyone, no one thinks it'll happen to them, but those things do happen. And, you know, even if it's not an extreme situation, you know, for me, like the other day, my dad needed some help in the garden. We were just digging holes basically. And, it, that's a skill in itself, I'll tell you, <laughs> digging <laughs> holes. Um, but having practiced a lot of other sort of s- strength-based movements and, um, you know, we're doing a lot of carrying and stuff, so a lot of overhead movements, I've practiced these, then I'm better able to help him out. And it feels really good to help out your community and your family. Uh, I mean, last week we went for the tree planting day um, mm-hmm. with Reforest Now, our, our partner, our organization that we donate to, when people buy beams, um, they they plant a tree for, for every $5 we donate. Um, and yeah, that was our first tree planting day with them. And even though we were planting tiny saplings and, and just, you know, throwing liquid in the into the holes and uh, it wasn't very taxing work, but the squatting that we were doing every time that you'd go to plant the trees and just all of these little movements that um, make you more useful um, that you're developing yeah yeah and carrying the buckets of goo and um yeah squatting down and up up and down off the ground constantly you know for a whole morning it doesn't it didn't seem like much to us but again that's because we'd done a lot of practice of those kinds of movements and for someone who hadn't practiced that or maybe their you know their knees hurt or you know they don't have the grip strength then they can't help out as much and it doesn't make it that doesn't make you like a worse person or a bad person or anything it's just you, you're unable to help people as much and helping people can give a lot of enjoyment and satisfaction in your life. And yeah. And and also just in the sheer doing of the activity, I know how much enjoyment I got out of the planting of the trees and mm. how mindful you're able to be in that moment because I'm not bending over and thinking, oh, my back hurts every time I go down to put one of these bloody trees in. Yeah it's being able to enjoy yeah 100% enjoy that movie and i was saying like a few a few years ago if i'd done that my knees would have blown up or they would have been very very sore during and after and i yeah i wouldn't have been able to get as as deep into the yeah the mindfulness of the activity and and having done a lot of strength training of lots of mindful strength training that's allowed me to be more useful and so some good examples of useful movement training or movement practices are things like natural movement where you know you're learning to squat and and run and climb and jump and all of these things that may come in handy in an emergency situation or also just prepare you for interacting with nature like planting trees Mm. um martial arts uh obviously you know again emergency situations and um, knowing how to defend yourself can be really important. Um, I've got I've written down parkour. Um, parkour is actually very similar to natural movement, but yeah, it's getting from A to B 
efficiently, um, you know, through jumping, climbing, vaulting, all of these things, um, and strength training. Again, you know, part of this is being useful to your community, but also a big part of it is being useful to yourself and being, mm. you know, having a level of physical independence. I don't think it's it's necessary for any human to be truly independent, as in, you know, it's we are communal creatures, um, but not having to rely on other people or other technology um, to to do your movement for you is really big. And, and no one really thinks about that until they get to about 80, 90 years old and suddenly they have a fall or something happens and they lose their independence and now everything has to be done for them. And it's quite, it's quite depressing to see. And I, and I know having worked in, you know, aged care in those areas, it's quite depressing to experience. And, and and often it's not, it's not that sudden either. I mean, it it can be a fall, but often it's so gradual that people Mm. don't even realize it until it's too late. Until, oh, now I can't stand up out of the chair anymore. Or now I can't take myself to the toilet anymore. Mm. Um, And it's, yeah, it's a gradual, slow progression. And, and, Nobody, if you ask them that question when they're our age, ever wants to get to that stage. No. If you ask, would you, you know, would you want to have someone taking you to the toilet every day and, and putting your clothes on for you and it's a, you're back to being a toddler, but no, no one would answer and say, yeah, that'll be sweet. Yeah. But, it's but we gradual. just need to make that connection between mm. the movements that we do now and, and the movements that we're able to do later. And, and even people, you know, there's, of course, there's, you know, unfortunate, terrible accidents that take away people's movement capacity. Like, you know, if you have a car accident and you end up as a paraplegic or a quadriplegic, you know, that's not your fault necessarily. Obviously, you know, if it's a car, you know, (laughs) it's Mm. not your fault. It happened to you and your movement capacity was taken away. But then what happens after that is everyone strives to improve or increase their independence in some way so whether that's pushing your own wheelchair or you know taking you know changing it being able to put yourself from your wheelchair onto a bed by yourself everyone strives for that independence Mm. and that's that usefulness to yourself and um and then also yeah if for people who you know who aren't maybe aren't you know have a genetic condition or yeah some kind of trauma that stops them from moving then being useful can mean, you know, learning different skills with their hands or learning different, you know, languages or, you know, different ways to interact with their community. And it's still all through movement. It might not be through big global movements like running, jumping, sprinting, carrying, but you can, like, the movement is really the only way you can affect the world around you. And it's, so... It's, it reminds me of, um, it, it's just reminded me of a, a bloke that I met when I was working for Channel 7 during COVID, um, he was coming out of the Woolies at Ashgrove and um, Sal- Salvatore Guadala was his name, this, this guy in his 80s, and fit as a fiddle, coming out, pushing his trolley and, and he stopped and had a chat and I was meant to be doing a story on the elderly shopping hour that had just started, but we got talking and he didn't have much in his trolley and he said, oh, I, I don't need much because... I grow most of my food at home. Anyways, he invited us back to his place at Barden and had the most incredible garden you could believe in this thousand square meter block, like beautiful old brick home. And the whole backyard was this incredible veggie patch that he'd built by himself. Mm. He had a cellar where he grew, you know, brewed his own wine and 
but it was talking to him not just about his incredible garden, but his movement practices in his life. You know, he would get up at 4 a.m. every morning and he would go for a walk uh, for, a, for a couple of Ks and then he would get straight into the garden before it got too hot and he would do his gardening and then he'd eat his food and then he'd get back into the garden for the rest of the day and then in the afternoon he'd jump on his bike and he'd go for a ride and Incredible. he was getting all of this varied movement and there was a reason that he looked so good and he was so healthy and he was so happy as well mm-hmm. because he was getting all of this variability and he was still independent. Yeah, and and that usefulness of... It's not just about, yeah, saving someone's life in an emergency situation, but growing food is a, is a movement practice in a lot of... you know. It's, and he was growing food for his family. Yeah, and he was that's getting... useful as. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it meant that when a pandemic hit, he didn't have to rely on the supermarkets. Yeah, yeah. And you can guarantee he was cooking that himself and, you know, all, just putting all this movement and skill into useful activities. Mm. Um, and yeah, the broader you can get with that, the better, but you work within, again, it's, that comes back to the mindfulness is understanding your own limitations, your own capacity and, and your goals and just working within that and, and figuring out how you can be more useful to yourself and to your community because it just feels really good. And I guess that brings us to playful then. Exactly. So, a couple of questions to ask yourself about playfulness. And that is, am I able to explore this movement in an unstructured and creative way? Uh, and, I, and am I getting some kind of fun or enjoyment out of this? And so, again, this doesn't have play. Not all your movement has to be playful. Strength training for me was an amazing way to get rid of, well, to resolve some tendon pain in both my knees, which is stopping me from playing. The strength training itself, I actually learned to enjoy, but it wasn't like a playful, you know, fun thing. Um, But it served a purpose and it allowed me to get to the point where I can, you know, enjoy things like Hackmanton and and (laughs) beam train and beam play and all of these things. So not everything has to be playful, but generally you want to have some kind of playful movement in your life to express your capacity and and just to have fun. I was going to say, otherwise, what's the point? Yeah. Like, yeah. if you can't have fun with it, then then what is the point? Yeah, exactly. And fun, you know, in one sense, it can be sort of, yeah, we've talked about all of this in, a, in a, our, one of our oh, second podcast about play, um, but it can be fun as in like, ha-ha, this is fun, silly game, um, or it can be intense competitive fun like in a sport Mm. um you know or surfing like you get into that sort of flow state where you're fully present fully focused that still kind of counts as play Mm. or it does count as play because um yeah it's intrinsically motivating and it's yeah it's something you want to do for the sake of doing it, it the activity itself and yeah some great examples are things like surfing skating skiing and snowboarding dancing playing on a beam juggling Hacky sack, which we, you know we are very into at the moment, um, and team sports, and yeah, these are all the things that that yeah kind of make life worth living mm. in a sense, and and they're, they're the the benefits that we have in our current society when you look at our ancestors, and you know while they may have had mindful and useful movement, uh, the playfulness is probably something they were a little more deprived of because in the aspect that we have today in terms mm. of being able to just do something because it's fun, not because we have to yeah. survive. And they, they created elements of play like 
mm. you know, dance, like dance was play to them. And obviously kids would play to learn certain movements and, and there'd be things, but yeah, as time went on and we, we figured out our food sources and, you know, food systems and things like that, which meant we didn't have to spend as much time on that, then humans, made more time the, for the inherent playfulness of humans, you know, led to the development of sports and, you know, all these different activities that are just really fun to do um, mm. or get you in that zone. And so um, the mindful and useful aspects of a movement practice can help facilitate more of that playful aspect. Mm. Um, and obviously, yeah, like we said, there's lots of overlap of all these elements in, in every skill and discipline. Um, and you're not going to obviously have to practice all of those skills that we mentioned and or have you know every element in everything that you do. Mm. Um, but it's just about going, okay, those elements are important. Um, and when you're designing your movement practice, just try and take aspects of each of those elements. And, and yeah, you might not be practicing all of these disciplines at one time, but cycling through and going, okay, well, based on where I'm at, I think it's probably a good idea to start with some breath work and some beam play or some breath work and some yoga just to sort of ease me into things. And then you can cycle in and start getting into some strength training or some, some natural movement or martial arts because it's best striking the right balance. Yeah. 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 And yeah, taking elements of each so that, cause all of those facilitate each other. Yeah, of course. Yeah. They're, all those aspects facilitate each other. And, um, it's important to get used to the discomfort of learning new skills as well. Um, mm. And just, just understand, it comes back to that beginner's mind, just understand that errors and failures and things like that are going to happen along the way. And, and the, the brain really, that's uncomfortable for the brain to make errors. Mm. And the interesting thing, I've just listened to this podcast from Andrew Huberman on Huberman Lab, which is episode seven is the podcast, if anyone wants to watch or listen. But it's all about how errors are really the driver of neuroplasticity because the, the discomfort of making an error actually stimulates the brain to release all these neurochemicals that promote learning and promote neuroplasticity, which is the adaptability of the brain, essentially. And so if you view those errors rather than like, oh, I keep messing up or I'm bad at this or whatever, if you view those as this is good, I'm making errors, I'm learning, I'm figuring out what not to do, then it can really help get through that uncomfortable stage and then that's what actually allows you to enjoy the the movement in the long term mm. it's like hacky sack i mean even having played soccer all my life and juggled soccer balls when i first started playing hacky sack i was like geez this is hard like i can barely get too frustrating too hey, yeah so frustrating but i was like i'm sure i can do this but if you had seen us on the court yesterday arvo <laughs> well, my word you wouldn't believe it <laughs> <laughs> um exactly and, and i I knew in my mind, like, I knew in my mind, having practiced other skills and having seen people do hacky sack, I was like, this is possible. I know it's possible. I just need to do more reps. And yes, maybe it's frustrating a bit to keep dropping the hacky sack, but I'm going to use that as fire to drive me to get better. And now, yeah, we can do some ridiculous things with the hacky sack and, it, and it's extremely fun. Mm. And... Yeah, it gets us into that flow state that, that's very beneficial. And, and we were walking down to the field 
yesterday to play some Hackmanton and I just got this big smile on my face at the, just at the thought of like, yes, we get to play another game. (laughs) (laughs) So you want to find activities in your life that give you that sort of that pizzazz of like, Oh yeah, I can't wait to do that. Yeah. Bring it on because that's the kind of activity you're going to keep doing. Mm. Um, And yeah, so that discomfort, yeah, that's sort of, we talk about this in the play podcast, but striking that balance between work and play so you, you want to work hard enough and push through that discomfort so that you can play even harder. <laughs> yeah. You know, do do your strength training and your mobility work and your awareness, your breath work and your awareness stuff so that you can be, you know, one, be more efficient and two, build a, a better capacity to then express movement in a really playful way. Mm. Um, and yeah, do your best to enjoy both parts. Or yeah. to understand that both are, both are part of the whole. It's probably a good place to wrap it up. Yeah, I think that sums it up. So thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about the practice of breathing, uh, which is probably the most important movement practices you can have. Obviously, breathing is very linked to our survival and, and learning how to breathe properly has a lot of benefits on, on health and performance. So we'll delve all into all of that next week. Um, actually we'll have a guest on the podcast yes I won't be here but I'll be replaced by someone (laughs) far more adequately (laughs) educated to to speak on the topic which is Tom at uh, Breath Performance Physio so yeah excited to chat to him and uh, we'll catch you on the next podcast (laughs) 